Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's new? New noise time. That's right. Time to talk about all the latest happenings in the world of rock and roll. No, we still do not have a cool intro. You know, I got a buddy named Rob. He's got one of them voices. Oh, you have one of them voices. But I'm I'm on the show. I don't want to introduce myself. <laughs> like these are your hosts. I'm Aaron Camaro. Chris Sinzak. You know, he's that dude's got one of them cool voices. And I was like, man, you got to do this for us. And I even like, it would be so easy to do it. All you got to do is record it. You know, I'll show up. You just read it to me. And then I keep bugging him. He don't listen. <laughs> Come on, Rob. Get it together, man. We need an intro for the new noise. And you're the man to do it for us. That's like the guy that does the uh, Sunday night football broadcast on radio. And like, I always, I always joke with my wife. I'm like, I wonder if he talks like that in, in normal time. He's like, did you let the dogs out today? Could you please pass me the potatoes? Yeah, you know, we need to pay the electric bill. Yeah, it just sounds so over the top. It's NFL Sunday night football. We need that guy. That guy's like amazing. Yeah. So what do we got? Some new noise for this week. Everybody's loving it that we've been doing the new noise, bringing you topical subjects, things that are happening in the world all around us. We have a good time doing it. Chris has got some news stories lined up for us. Why don't you go ahead and start knocking them out? Yeah, so we like doing these because, you know, for a lot of years, we were kind of like, it has to be evergreen content where it's just something you can listen to five years from now. But at the same time, you know, we would listen to Cobras and Fire and other shows and be like, man, it'd be nice to actually talk about these current stories. So, yeah, so we would do new noise once in a while. Once in a while. But then when we talked about, you know, people want more decibel geek, you know, we could easily knock out a new noise every week to add to the actual show so people do get more, you know, because it does kind of suck when you got a podcast that you really like, but it only comes out once a week or once every week and a half or however, you know. <laughs> Some podcasts do that. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we wanted to give more content, and this was an easy, fun way to do it. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to rip off everybody else that already does yeah. it and tell you all the same stories, but I guess just from our slant, our yeah. perspective. But I miss talking to you all the time, so it gives us an excuse to do that. That's um, right. And, uh, yeah, preface this with I've had several beers before we started today, but uh, so excuse me if I slur my words. 
Um, I was I was working on my air conditioner and trying to re-upload Skype. <laughs> so you're the responsible one this week. Well, I'm having a beer now. That I, that's all done. That's cool. So uh, Carrie King, uh, I guess, has a new band, and he says that it's crushing it and on par with Slayer. Have you heard wow. about this? No, but that's a real bold statement right there. Yeah, so Nikki Black, who uh, is on uh, San Francisco's 107.7 The Bone, heard most of the songs that will appear on the debut album from King's New Group while visiting Carrie and his wife Aisha in their home in New York City. And uh, she said, I heard the Carrie King songs last night and they were crushing. The world hasn't been the same without Slayer, but now I'm looking forward to 2023. And yes, I know who's in the band, but no, I won't tell you. Sorry, Blabbermouth, Hmm. which is where I'm reading this from. Sorry, New Noise. Yeah, when pressed for more details by some of her Facebook followers, she says, It sounds killer. I loved all of it. Not a clunker in the bunch. I heard eight or nine songs. And uh, when somebody on Facebook said that Jeff Hanneman wrote the group's best songs, which I kind of agree with, uh, she says that will never be outdone by Carrie's new band, uh, The uh, and that Dave Lombardo is the greatest thrash metal drummer ever. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um implying that Lombardo's replacement, Paul Bostaff, is an, an inferior musician. I don't know. Paul Bostaff is pretty badass, though. Yeah. Um, Jeff wrote a lot of their greatest songs, but far from all of them, not to mention many were written by King slash Hanneman together. I'm not going to have a Lombard-Bostaff argument, which you could have that for an hour, because uh, they're both killer drummers, but they couldn't be any more different in style. I agree with that. Carrie was a major contributor to both. To, to the Slayer sound, and towards the end, he orchestrated nearly all of it. So anything he does will be on par with Slayer. Um, Carrie said uh, that the that it won't be he won't be dragging his feet much longer when it comes to being back on the road. So I don't. I guess there's no title for this band. Um, hmm. I'm not the biggest Carrie King fan myself. I'm not the biggest Slayer fan myself. So maybe I'm the wrong person to ask. But I don't know. Are you excited for this? Yeah, I guess so. You know, I don't think that, you know, if a band ends like Slayer, they say, okay, we're done now. There's no reason that you can't create more music. I got to think that most musicians kind of have to keep creating stuff. And I would imagine you're going to see solo albums from members of these bands. You know, we talked about it with Kiss. When Kiss finally does end the road, what are they going to do? You know, they're not going to stop making music, I wouldn't think. You know, we look forward to hopefully the Gene Simmons album that everybody's always wanted. And we've talked about, you know, what's Eric Singer going to do? I'm even curious what Tommy Thayer's going to do after Kiss is done. And Paul Stanley, I mean, as long as it's not Stool Station, you know, we'll keep that going too. <laughs> but these bands, just because the band ends, you can't expect them to say, okay, well, I Slayer ended, so I put down my guitar and I never picked it up again. I don't think that's in guys like Kerry King's DNA to do that but what is in his dna is the music of slayer so whatever he's going to continue doing unless he's purposefully trying to get away from that is going to have elements of slayer to it clearly yeah i mean i i don't know we'll see what happens but uh i'm I'm always open to listening to it but you know carrie i think as far as the big four goes is probably the worst lead guitarist of all of them but you know i don't know some riffs that that Slayer wrote, I think, are amazing. Yeah. But I don't know if that how much of that is Kerry King and how much of that is Jeff Hanneman. You know, who knows? Yeah, I'm not sure on that. Yeah. 
Um, next story, uh, interesting. Billy Sheehan says he has the only existing pro shot video of Dave, David Lee Ross, Edom, and Smile lineup. Really? Yeah. He, uh, in a new interview with We Go to Eleven, Billy Sheehan was asked if there's any existing professionally filmed video of the concert performed by David Lee Roth during that time. He says, I have it. I think I'm the only guy with it. They shot it pro. If It's Dave's tour and Dave's business, so I can't do anything with it, unfortunately. At some point, maybe I'll try to get in touch with Dave. Do you want to put this out? But I had a pro shot video. I forgot how I got it. As far as I know, nobody else has it. I just reviewed it the other day and backed it up again to another three drives to make sure I don't lose it. Yeah. He says, I'm not sure if it could be out someday. If Dave want, if Dave would be interested in doing it, I've got it. It's here for him. If he wants it, I'll be happy to put it on my Dropbox and send it over to him. But most of the videos that are out there are handheld clips, shaky with muffled audio. I'll vouch for that. Yeah. Because I've looked up, I've every, almost on a weekly basis, I look for video from this version of the band. You know how hard it was to crotch a camcorder back then and sneak it into a concert? It was very hard. And he says, the audio is good. It's not great, but it's better than most of the handheld camera things. Back then, a video camera to sneak it into a venue was very difficult, but some people did. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. I mean, they were sneaking bottles of Jack Daniels in, and a camera wasn't too far of a stretch during concerts in 1986 there. So, yeah, I do have a Pro Shot concert. And for a while, I couldn't find it, so I thought, did I imagine it? Am I fooling myself here? But sure enough, the other day, uh-huh, there it is. I've got it. Wow. So uh, I hope he'll. Uh, I hope Dave has an interest in releasing this because, I mean, Billy's a stand-up guy. He's not going to release it without Dave's blessing. So um, maybe, I don't know, David Lee Roth is, is kind of getting more sentimental over the years, I've noticed, and uh, maybe he'll be into doing this. Have you? Did you hear the acoustic song he just put out? I did, man. I like that. Yeah, I like that it's kind of, you know, looking back on the Van Halen days. He's definitely getting a lot more sentimental than he used to be. And they say, I think, that I read a while back that John Five was talking about a song that he had done with Dave that was just amazing, but he never thought it was going to come out. And I guess this is that one that he's been talking about all this time. Yeah, but uh, I still want to hear Dave do a full electric album with John Five, but I don't know if that's going to happen. That'd be amazing. Yeah, and then in the next studio, Peter Chris is waiting. Right, yeah, because he's supposed to have done Peter's rock album, and that's another thing that we wonder if it's going to come out or not. I think Peter Chris was at WrestleMania. I he mean, was. SummerSlam, or he was at something in New Jersey. Oh, yeah. it must have been the Monday Night Raw. SmackDown or the Monday Night Raw before. Yeah, that's so cool. I, no, I saw a picture of him with Triple H. Yeah, so who knows? Who knew Peter Chris was a wrestling fan? That's pretty cool. Have you ever heard the story about Kurt Angle and Peter Chris? Uh uh-uh. uh. Well, Kurt Angle was an Olympic gold medalist who was in the 1994 Olympics in Atlanta. Mm hmm. And he won. 96. 96, was it? Okay. Yeah. But he won the gold medal in wrestling while suffering a broken neck. Oh, wow. Like he knew his neck was broken before he went into the final match, but he still went anyway and won the gold medal with a broken freaking neck. When he grew up, all he did was train for wrestling, such as the life of somebody who's going to go for gold medals. You know, all you're going to do is train in order to get to that level to achieve that ultimate goal. But he did have one other hobby that he loved, and that was playing drums. And his hero was Peter Chris. No kidding. 
if I ever get a chance to talk to Kurt Angle, I want to hear about Peter Chris stories because I know they've met. And I never realized that Peter Chris was a big wrestling fan, but I knew Kurt Angle, who is one of my all-time favorites, is a huge Peter Chris fan, and I know they've met each other at least a few times over the years. That's a trip. Yeah, pretty cool. That's cool to see Peter getting out and about. He looks great in the photos. Yeah, you know, I, I think he was I, having a real good time. And there was a photo that re, that uh, leaked recently of him in, uh, backstage at Joe Perry's concert. So, yeah. He, oh, yeah. He, Joe Perry looks kind of like death warmed over, but Peter looks pretty healthy. So Yeah. Um, yeah, Joe looking a little rough. Yeah, he looks pretty rough. But uh, if you go back and listen to our talk about Johnny Depp, uh, Joe was like doing coke just a few years ago. So I'm like, I hope that guy's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, another story, Metallica Lars Ulrich on the renewed popularity of Master of Puppets. His quote was, that whole thing is such a mind fuck. I mean, have you heard about this, like with the tie-in with Stranger Things? Oh, yeah, the Stranger Things TV show. I haven't watched it. You know, when I watched the first season of Stranger Things. I yeah. thought that was pretty cool. And then the second season kind of sucked, and I never got through the whole thing, and yeah. I've never gone back. But I know people are going nuts over that right now. Yeah. And they say the soundtrack is just loaded full of great music by awesome bands. And like Metallica, Master of Puppets, went like jumped way the hell up in the charts based on young people watching this show. Yeah, it, it it and I will say I my wife and I just caught up on Stranger Things. We just finished season 4 and uh it does get a lot better. The second season is a bit of a letdown, but uh I I've enjoyed watching it through season 4. But uh there's a character named Eddie Munson on the new season that's kind of a metalhead. He runs a Dungeons and Dragons group and and he plays guitar and I'm not going to spoil it, he but sounds awesome. But there's there's like a scene where he ends up playing master of puppets on the show. And it's, uh, you know, it's funny though. Cause like there's, there's a lot of hate being thrown because it's like all, all these millennials are now getting into Metallica and how dare you like Metallica now after we got yeah. picked on as we were kids. Yeah. Like, I don't see it that way. I don't either. I mean, it's just like, you know, even if it's a different vehicle to get people into the stuff we like, enjoy it, be happy yeah. for them. You know, I think, I think it's fucking awesome because, Again, you know, what are we doing here? Why do we do this show? Well, the number one reason we do this show, well, there's two reasons, really. One, because we love it. We love this music. We love talking about it. And two, and you know it from when we do episodes of Fresh Blood or Radio Sucks, we're doing everything in our power to keep rock and roll alive, to keep it relevant. And we know there's so many people around the world, as evidenced by so many people liking our Facebook page and getting in on the conversation in the Decibel Geek community, that we're not alone here. You know, we get a lot of people that listen to this show, so we know there's a lot of people out there that love this stuff. Well, to keep rock and roll alive, you got to get it out there to people. And if this is a way, like you said, a great vehicle to get it inside the ears and the minds of a whole new generation or people that have never listened to Metallica or have no idea how awesome that stuff is, I'm all for it. You know, yeah. if there's a young kid out there that watches Stranger Things and sees Eddie Munson playing Master of Puppets and goes, what is that? And they go to their older uncle or whatever, or, you know, find somebody that knows and says, oh, it's Metallica, the Master of Puppets album. Here, listen to this. And they go, holy shit. And next thing you know, they want to pick up guitars. They want to learn how to play songs like Metallica. And it continues on. You know, I don't care how it gets to them, mm. just that it does. 
and that's the beautiful thing about it is that this music is so damn good that somebody that has no idea about it is not even was wasn't even alive when that album came out will hear it and go this is fucking amazing just the same way we did when we heard it when it was new yeah because to them today it's just as new to them as it was to us when we heard it for the first time. Yep. And it hit us in a way that changed our lives the same way it's hitting them in the same way. That keeps rock and roll alive, baby. I'm all for it. Well, and that's the way I view it. It's like, don't be a fucking gatekeeper about this stuff. You know, <laughs> you can you can like it all you want, but but don't deprive other people of discovering it right now. Even though they're, they're so many years later... It doesn't make a difference. Great music is great music. You know, I mean, I got into Thin Lizzy 30 plus years after they were popular. Right. That doesn't make me a bad Thin Lizzy fan. It just means I finally got clued into how great they were. Same with the Ramones. But like Lars was interviewed about it and he says, we try to be very involved in letting our music be a part of these cultural things that are out there and just to connect to fans and get the music out there. But the way this thing has taken off and who would have thought that, you know, what is it? 36 years. So this song is 36 years old, and now it's in the top 40 in the UK. It's an eight-minute song, and it's fucking making a statement. That's uh, amazing. It just shows you the power of film, the power of television, the power of just culture. And obviously, any opportunity you get to turn new kids or younger kids on to music that may be a gateway in discovering what it is, whether it's hard rock or different things, whatever it is on their radar is super cool. But this thing is just crazy. It's kind of hard to fully comprehend, but it's awesome. So we're very psyched. That's the way you got to look at it. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter what the vehicle is that gets them into it, but they're getting into it. Be happy for it. Right. And instead of saying, you shouldn't like it because I've been here all along, you should say, it's about damn time that you got as smart as me. But yeah, I mean, don't be don't be pissy, but just because it's getting popular now, just, yeah, if you were there from day one, good for you. Don't deprive other people that weren't there from day one from getting into something that you like. It's a right. good thing. Let them be in awe of your amazingness because you were there and seen it. Just the same way we were about people that were, you know, fans of Kiss in the very beginning. We were too young. We didn't see it. But man, mm. if we met somebody that's seen them at Mother's here in Nashville on that first tour or wherever in the early days, you'd just be like, wow, you are. I'm so jealous. You are so awesome. Yep. Be that guy. Well, I mean, and they had, um, they played Lollapalooza, and the guy that played Eddie Munson on the show got up and played the song with them. I thought that was cool. That is cool. You know? Yeah, they need to cash in on it. Yeah, so, um, you know, last last time we did New Noise, we talked about the Kiss leaks that, that came out. Well, Aerosmith reached into their own vault and put out um, the 1977 concert that they played in Houston, Texas at the Summit. Have you seen any of this yet? No. So they're doing a cool thing. It's it's on their YouTube channel um, for like a week. They're they're releasing pro shot concerts from every decade that they've been around, and the, for their fiftieth anniversary. It's hard to believe. Can you believe Aerosmith is fifty years old? That's crazy. Yeah. Well, they were around before I ever knew about them too. It's nuts. But uh, so they did this, and the the first one that came out, and now seventy seven Houston at the summit. Has been around in bootleg circles for years, but the quality of this, I watched it today. Oh my God. It's like super pro quality. Now, I will also say this Aerosmith by 1977 was a mess on drugs. So it's pretty sloppy. So you have to know that going in when you watch this. That's part of the fun. 
it's still really fun to watch Aerosmith in 1977 uh, in Houston. And it's like completely pro shot. It's beautifully filmed. And uh, that's cool. And they're going to be releasing something from each decade, like each week. That's and, cool, uh, man. I like that. And I love it. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was cool to watch this. I watched it today. <clears throat> and like you know, Houston used to at the summit they used to film all their video, all their uh, concerts. So there, you'll you'll find some of these out there. But uh, if you haven't checked that out, go to Aerosmith's official YouTube channel and check it out. It's a it's a lot of fun to watch. Nice. I will definitely be doing that. Uh, this next story is a little bit of a nothing burger, but I thought it would be interesting to talk about. Um, Rachel Bolin got interviewed by Fistful of Metal magazine, um, and they were asking him if it's still viable to make a living as a musician these days. And he said, uh, people have this misconception that everyone in the band is broke, and we're not. We had some massive songs, which I guess they forgot about, and we sold nearly 23 million records, so we're not broke by any means. I heard some woman say, oh, they live in tents. And I'm like, okay, I've got a couple of tents, one in New Jersey and one down in Atlantic City, and they're nice tents, you know. <laughs> we never had to go back to day jobs. The albums keep selling, and we make good money on the road. There's, there's that. That's another misconception about uh, that we play for peanuts, and it, it's a lot of peanuts. Don't slip on the fucking shells. Uh, the, you know, it's funny. There, there's a lot of bands from that era that, they do struggle and they do live paycheck to paycheck. But honestly, with Skid Row, the fact that Rachel and Snake wrote the vast majority of that material, they are not hurting for money. Trust me. No, because they came in and had those huge hits back in a time when music actually sold. Now, yeah. if you're talking to a young up and coming band that has never sold that many albums, it's a totally different conversation. But for a band like Skid Row, I mean, 18 in Life and the debut album and I Remember You and yeah. Slave to the Grind. And, I mean, they sold a lot of albums back when you could actually get rich writing songs. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're the, the, if you wonder why they haven't reunited with Sebastian, that's why. Because they still make a ton of money off the re- residuals from those songs. Yeah. You know, um, Sirius XM still plays those songs on a regular basis. So even if you just based on what they make off Sirius, they probably make a pretty comfortable living. Most definitely. And I'm glad to see that. Yeah. And I mean, and even with the the new guy, Eric Gronwall singing for him, I'm sure their guarantees are because I certainly haven't tried to book them for rock and pod because I have a feeling they would be out of my price range because I, yeah. I, th- I think they, they probably demand quite a steep guarantee. So, uh, I mean, they are still Skid Row after all. Sure. And I mean, they were, I mean, for those of you that may not remember, Skid Row was about the biggest band on the planet for about a year or two there. Yep. I mean, they, they were huge. And when, when 18 in Life and Youth Gone Wild and I Remember You were out, they were about as big as you can get. So they're, they're not hurting for money at all. That's good. I'm glad for that. Yeah. I'd be disappointed if I was checking out at Kroger and I turned around and the guy checking me out had an earring going from his nose to his ear. And I'd be like, oh, man. This ain't right. Rachel was so nice to us when we uh, interviewed him with Michael Wagner. Yeah. That was, uh, that's one of the highlights for the 11 years we've been doing this show. So I, I, I look forward to uh, hopefully talking to him again. Sure. Yeah, and on that note, I saw in the new video he's wearing the earring that goes he from is. his chain to his ear from his nose. Fuck yeah, dude, is all I'll say to that. Fuck yeah. I love it. 
I love that guy. He's a great guy. And, you know, and like everybody gives him shit for like, why don't you get back with Sebastian? I'm like, we, we know enough ourselves from behind the scenes where I can't imagine him wanting to work with that guy. Yeah, he'll never be like, that's a great idea. Yeah, not happening. Well, I still love that. The last question I asked on that interview we did with him and Michael, I said, I turned the record over and I was like, when uh, are we ever going to see these five guys in a room together again? And he said, I don't know. Is it is it padded? <laughs> it's about the only way, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Can I introduce a new segment to New Noise? Sure. Rockstar Birthdays. Are you ready? Okay. It's, I think this is the old radio guy in me, the old washed-up radio announcer coming out. You know, he used to do the WJMT morning birthdays, the rundown. Let's do them for this week. Okay. On Monday, Joe Elliott from Def Leppard celebrates his 63rd birthday. Happy birthday, Joe. Gotta feel old. Yeah, Susie Gardner's also having a birthday on Monday, and Dan Donegan from Disturbed. On Tuesday, Butch Vig celebrates his 67th birthday. Butch Vig, well-known as the producer of Nirvana, the drummer from Garbage, and a big Green Bay Packers fan. Oh, yeah, that's right. On Wednesday, James Hetfield turns 59. Happy birthday, James. Wow, one more year to 60. To me, everybody on this list is a rock star. Happy birthday, Shay Hargett. Awesome geek of the week, always. Love that guy. Yeah. Well, he, you know, him and his buddy, Will Honeycutt, have invited us out to hang at their like man cave thing. We need to do that one night. Are they from around here? They're at, uh, they're close to my area here in Murfreesboro. Okay. Yeah, we should go do that. I told them, though, I was like, you're going to have to put us up, though, if we start drinking. <laughs> <laughs> But I would love to do it though, because like we never get to hang with our listeners that much, and I think it would be fun to fun to, fun to hang out with those guys. That would be fun. Happy birthday, Shay, on Wednesday. On Thursday, Joe Daniels, the original drummer from Local H, celebrates birthday. Happy birthday, Joe. On Friday, Pat Smear, famous for his time with Nirvana and also the Foo Fighters, celebrates birthday, along with Christine the Button Queen. No kidding. Happy birthday, Christine, on Friday and on Saturday this week, celebrating his 70th birthday. You know who this is, don't you? Mm, Not off that much. One of your favorite guitar players of all time. Somebody you look up to and admire a lot. Who? We've met this guy a few times. He's been on the show. Uh, (laughs) I've had too much to drink to be able to tell you. Happy 70th birthday, Vinnie Vincent. Oh, jeez. Celebrating a birthday on Saturday. Oh, good for him. There you go. So does that make this like the anniversary of when Rockin' Pod would usually be this coming weekend? Uh, Yeah, sometime in August. You know, we've done it several different dates in August, but yeah, somewhere in there. Well, I'm grateful we're doing it now in a cooler part of the year. Nobody's got to sweat their nuts off at Rockin' Pod no more. So, Vinny Vincent, happy birthday, scumbag. Happy birthday, Vinny Vincent. (laughs) Those are your rock star birthdays for this week. Happy birthday, dear rock stars. Happy birthday to you. Still love your songwriting and your playing, but you're a piece of shit as a human. But anyway, that's not you, Shay Hargett. That was Vinny Vincent. Um, All right, so next story, I just... You know, and this has kind of been a story we've brought up many times, but I thought this guy put it up perfectly. Uh, 
Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam did an interview with Andrew Daly of VW Music about uh, did grunge kill 1980s heavy metal. And I I like the way that he kind of explained this. He says, I think there's always renewal in the world. With that renewal comes new perspectives. And I think that hard rock was really stagnating at that point in, the, in a way that gave an opportunity to what I'll call less musically talented musicians to say, hey, there's another way to play rock songs. There's another way to have the songs that are heavy, and there's another way to create chaos and energy from those songs that would be outside the normal color palette of a heavy metal song. And he says, I mean, coming up, I listened to a lot of heavy metal. I listened to a lot of Motorhead. I listened to a lot of Maiden. I listened to a lot of Merciful Fate. I listened to a lot of Zeppelin. I listened to all those new wave of British, British heavy metal fans, and I was into it. That said, as a kid, I didn't really know how to play like that. So I was just doing what sounded right to me, and I think that in the late 80s, there was a very free attitude about art and music that was brewing in the wake of hard rock. And a lot of people were experimenting with sounds and the bands formed from there. There was something about it that was fresh that really captured people's ears and that that had a huge effect on it all, too. But, you know, a lot of those heavy metal bands you're talking about are still around, so clearly they all didn't die. Sure, a lot of them had to regroup, and yes, some did die, but that's part of the life cycle, right? There are still a lot of fans out there who love hard rock, and I'm one of them. I love hard rock, and I always have, but the renewal and rebirth are a part of art, I think. I I think that's incredibly well stated. Yeah, in a lot of ways. I mean, it kind of reminds you of the same way that when punk rock came in in the 70s, when you were looking at bands like Zeppelin and Deep Purple and Kiss and ACDC, guys that could write these kick-ass riffs and these catchy-ass songs and have ripping guitar solos in them. And and then punk rock guys looking at that go, you know, I can't play a guitar solo like, you know, Jimmy Page, like Richie Blackmore, like Ace Frehley or Angus Young. You know, I can't play like that, but I feel the spirit of rock and roll in me. Let me see what I can do, you know? Mm -hmm. And that speaks to people sometimes, you know? Simpler is better a lot of times. And... In the 80s, you had, you know, all these bands that were so, the musicianship in it was so amazing. You know, the guitar solos and all the stuff that we love, be it Maiden or, you know, Priest, the bands from the new wave of British heavy metal or the Sunset Strip. You know, you got bands like Guns N' Roses and then San Francisco, you got Metallica and and thrash metal bands. You know, all these guys were mega awesome musicians, But then after a while, it all kind of starts to sound the same a little bit because, you know, how many different amazing guitar solos can you do? How many amazing riffs can you come up with, you know, that are just blistering? So at some point, a change has to happen. And I think he nails it on the head where people said, okay, you know, simple it back down a little bit. But by 2001, everybody was missing those bands, you know. And so it all started to come back around where... Then some of the biggest tours in, I know at least in the United States, were a lot of these bands that were huge in the 80s throughout and got back together and came out on these tours that were blowing bands away. Right. And you know, the same thing kind of happened with grunge too, because that got to a certain point too, where, you know, do you sound like Pearl Jam? Awesome, we'll sign you. Do you sound yep. like Soundgarden? Awesome, we'll sign you. The same way people looked at it and said, do you sound like Crew? Do you sound like Poison? Do you yep. look like these bands? Do you have blistering guitar solos? You're signed. Yep. Same thing happens over and over again until the point where, 
you know, like we talked about earlier with Metallica, where now kids nowadays are getting exposed to Metallica for the first time and being like, holy shit. These guys are amazing. And yeah. it came out 20 years before I was born. Yeah, well, in, in the same article, <clears throat> it references an interview that Rachel Bolin from Skid Row, who we talked about earlier, gave to uh, Sonic Perspectives, and he, he nailed it, too. He says, when a musical genre becomes just a point of sale, that's kind of the beginning of the end for the genre because they'll sign a million bands that kind of sound like a band, and then it just dilutes everything. Yeah. So that's kind of what was happening right around when grunge came out. When grunge came out, it was the next big thing, and then it happened to them, too. Every sure. band that kind of resembled Nirvana got signed, and they were nowhere near as good as Nirvana. Well, then, and then on after that, you got Limp Bizkit and Korn, you know, and bands yep. like that. And then pretty soon, you got a million bands that sound the same as them. You know, they're, do you sound like Korn? Do you sound like Limp Bizkit? You're signed. Yep. It's never going to be as good as the original ones, you know, no. or even if it is. It's going to feel like it's just a second-hand version of it, you know? I'm, yeah. I tell you from experience, I'm a huge fan of Tough. But most people look at Tough and go, oh, that's just another iteration of what Poison was doing. Sure. And to a certain extent, it was and because it was. it was totally influenced by that. Is it good? The music, the songs, love it, you know? Still sure do. It but it got to the point where bands like that were getting signed left and right. The pretty boy Floyd's and you know, mm -hmm. so many other bands, even bands that are so worthy and so good got overlooked because of that change. And I'm sure grunge fans say the same thing about bands that came out later, just like new metal bands, just like, you know, on down the line. Yeah. It just happens. All, and it happens every decade with, because the culture of the whatever's in at the time eats itself. That's just that's just the life cycle of it. Right. It always happens. But, uh, but I then what's old becomes new again, and what was popular then becomes cool again. You know, just like we're talking about now, how rock is kind of coming back around, and younger people and people that haven't been exposed to it in the past are starting to hear these songs and go, "This is great. I will go see Metallica in concert, even though you know I wasn't alive in their heyday." Or I will yeah. go see Def Leppard and Motley Crue on tour because it's the greatest music I ever heard, even though it came out years before I was around to enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just it's just the nature of the beast, and that's the way it works. And, you know, but the, I always tell people that listen to shows like us, you know, you can still love what you love. It doesn't matter if it's in fashion or not. Right. That, that That's not a problem. Um Kudos to Pearl Jam for surviving the whole thing because there's a lot of bands from that era even that didn't make it. Sure. And like uh there was a great video that came out this past week of Mike McCready from Pearl Jam like smashing the shit out of his guitar and his pedal board. Did you see that? No. So they were like playing somewhere and like he just went off and just started smashing his guitar against his amp and his pedal board and stuff, and it was just so such a rock and roll moment and Hell yeah. Mike McCready is a giant Kiss nerd. That's he, what I always loved about the grunge yeah. days when people would say, oh, I don't listen to that stuff no more. I listen to Pearl Jam now. And I'd it, say, hey, motherfucker, these guys are all big <laughs> Kiss fans. They are. Well, that's when Kiss started getting respect again. Yeah. It was during the grunge era because all those bands were like, oh, we grew up on Kiss. You know, we love that Kiss and the Ramones and early Sabbath. I mean, listen to the early Soundgarden records. That's early Sabbath influence. You totally. can't you can't deny it. It's right there. So um, a lot of the '70s rock kind of came back in vogue because of those bands. But Mike McCready's a giant Kiss nerd. I mean, listen to uh, 
the solo one alive, which is a ripoff of she from Kiss. Yeah. Which, but then that also cycles also because Ace ripped that solo off from five to one by the Doors. Yeah. You know, Robbie Krieger came up with the idea for that solo, and then you know you had different generations copying it. So uh, you know, it's just it's always a cycle. It always works that way. Totally. And I'm glad the um, cycle continues because right now. There's some little kid somewhere that's discovering his dad's old CDs and listening to this music going, this blows my mind. I want to learn how to play it. Right. Rock and roll lives forever. So Wendy Dio did an interview recently, and um, the Ronnie James Dio hologram, she says, was an experiment, and she doesn't want to do it again. No? <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Michael is really upset. Yeah, he's just not the, the hologram. Isn't just as he's great on stage, but when it comes to like hanging out around the house, he's just not very entertaining. Yeah, she says it was an experiment that we did. It was fifty-fifty. Some people hated it. Some people loved it. It was something we did. I don't want to do it again. This time now, I'm going to do real Ronnie. I've got all this video footage from Rainbow and some Sabbath and Dio and even some Elf stuff, and I want to put that together with a live band and take that out. Hell yes. Because I think that'll be something that kids will really want to see, stuff they've never seen before as well. So she's going to do something along those lines, but it's going to be more just the video footage, which I think I think that was the most... Most of the feedback I saw from the people that did see it were like, well, we'd rather just watch Ronnie on a screen, you know, actually singing the stuff. Yeah. So, Like the hologram was great on stage, but he was a terrible lover, so we had to shut him down. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear from behind the scenes that, and this is very unverified, but that Sharon has already reached out to the same company about Ozzy. Oh, for, no. For a hologram. I don't know if that's true. Uh, yeah, we already got Robo Ozzy. Now we're going to have to have Hollow Ozzy, too. I don't like it. The listener that told me about this, you know who you are. But uh, I do trust this guy's word, so it, it it is possible that Sharon's already looking at replacing Ozzy with a hologram. We'll see. Well, and does that surprise you in the least? No, not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> Ozzy, you're still going to make me a shit ton of money even after you're dead. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it makes more sense that she would do it than not. Um, I don't know. Um I just want to see all this old footage that's never been released before. Yeah, I do want to see that. And I would watch that. I mean, I never re was really that against the hologram idea. I don't think it's a bad idea because I do think it's the future. I think you're going to see more of that in the future. Oh, definitely. Um, Someday there will be a hologram Chris and Aaron bringing you the Decibel Geek oh, podcast. God forbid. Because <laughs> we won't have no one to pass this on to. It's our legacy. Come on, kids. We don't want nothing to do with it. I can already see our wives. These motherfuckers died already. Let let it go. Um, but no, unless they were making money off our holograms. Yeah, if they're making money, maybe it would be different. <laughs> but uh, you know, if you want to hear something funny, listen to. There's like a Cobras and Fire episode from a couple of weeks ago where uh, Baco brings Stephen Michael from Growing Up Rock on, and they have it out about the Dio hologram. It's pretty nice. funny. I've got that actually downloaded on the iPod. I just haven't had a chance to oh, hear it yet. It's so funny. And like, because Baco is very anti hologram, and, and Stephen Michael actually went and saw it in Atlanta and liked it. And they, they, uh, they get into it. And then if you listen to one of the Suns Out, Mike's Out episodes of Covers and Fire, Baco does like the most spot on impersonation of Stephen Michael I've ever heard. It's really, oh, no. really entertaining. 
Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. hey, speaking of those guys, not too long ago, I recorded a new episode of ACLC with my man, Loose Cannon. That should be coming out pretty soon. Yeah, I'm excited to hear you guys talk about Ugly Good Joe. Yeah, that's right. We'll give you guys a little shit in the process, too, just like always. That's tradition. Ah, I expect it. <laughs> I always get a good laugh if somebody gives me shit. And I'm sure Baca will get plenty of his comeuppance also. Y'all deserve it. This is kind of exciting, and I know you'll be happy to hear this. Uh, Motorhead is releasing a special 40th anniversary edition of Iron Fist in September. Oh, hell yes. One of my favorite Motorhead albums of all time. Yeah. Because it was special to me, because that was one I got off my Uncle Bruce when I was little. Yep. So they're going to release, of course, the original version of the record, but also the Jackson Studio demos from October of 81. Oh, sweet. With uh, remembering, Remember Me, I'm Gone, The Doctor, Young and Crazy Loser, Iron Fist, and Go to Hell. And then uh, some CD and digital bonus tracks. Lemmy Goes to the Pub. That's the first track. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Same old, uh, some old song, I'm Gone, Don't Let Him Grind You Down, an alternate version. Shut It Down, Sponge Cake, which is an instrumental. Rip, Rip Saw Teardown, which is an instrumental. And Peter Gunn, an instrumental. And then the... Um, full live at glasgow apollo 1982 set so this is like this i'm gonna buy this myself because take that, my money that's a lot of cool shit on one uh package yeah i love that so yeah iron fist is a great record if you haven't heard it talking about lemmy a little bit have you ever seen because you know that lemmy and ozzy together wrote that song hellraiser yeah have you ever seen the video mashup I don't think it's been out that long. It's animated. It's a video for that song where they take the Motorhead version and the Ozzy version and meld it into one song. So it's like mm. Ozzy and Lemmy are doing a duet, and it's an animated video. It's killer. I haven't seen it yet. I'll have to watch it when I get Yeah, off as soon as we're done here today, go look that up. I will. People listening, you do it too. It's amazing. It just sucks that was never an Ozzy and Motorhead tour. They never toured together? I don't think so. That's wild, man. You they sure might think have. they would have. Somebody will correct me, I'm sure, in the comments section. But uh, I don't think they ever toured together. Well, I love telling people that, you know, Lemmy wrote My Mom Coming Home. You know, and like a lot of people don't realize that. I didn't realize that. I knew they did Hellraiser, but I no. didn't know he wrote that. Yeah, Lemmy wrote that song. Wow. And I think Ozzy may have helped on it. Because, I mean, the song is written about Sharon. Yeah. Um, which, if you read it, it's like kind of about, you know, not loving the person that you're talking about. But, uh, uh, yeah, no, Lemmy was a huge part of the songwriting process for Mama, I'm Coming Home, which was a massive fucking hit. Yeah. You know? I was listening to Free Beer and Hot Wings the other morning on the way to work, and they do their Dumber Than the Show trivia. Yep. And one of the trivia questions was, what is Ozzy's biggest hit song? Was that it? Nobody got it right. Everybody thought it was Crazy Train. It was Mama and Coming Home, wasn't it? Yep, totally yeah. was. That was a massive fucking hit. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Probably when one I, of my least favorite Ozzy songs. It's a great song, though. I mean, it's a very incredibly well-written song. Yeah. I do love that and song. And there's something in there, like, if you listen real close at the end, it says, My mom's the devil. <laughs> I believe it. I think I heard that once. <laughs> Not to bring too much of a downer note onto this, but uh, 
some video footage got released where George Lynch, George Lynch rejoined Dawkins on stage in York, Pennsylvania to perform uh, Kiss of Death when Heaven Comes Down and Tooth and Nail. Oh, and the, no. Is the, this the footage that we were talking about after we recorded our Pantera episode? Yeah. Where everybody thinks Don Dawkins on drugs? Don is a mess. And and I hate bringing this up because I I am a Dawkins fan. And I know you are too. But um, Don does not need to be on stage right now. About as much as I need to be on stage right now because I've had way too much to drink. But um, well, on the other hand of that, Chris Aiken told us that he heard an advanced copy of the new Dawkins album, and I guess through the the magic of the studio. It sounded pretty damn good. You can do a lot in the studio. There's a lot of pitch correction and auto tune and all that stuff. But uh, and I'm excited to hear it. Um, but Don does not need to be on stage because if you haven't watched this footage, it's brutal. It's fucking brutal. Hmm. And Don is like twice as loud as everything else in the mix. I don't know who decided that, but it was a bad idea. I hate that, man, because Dokken is one of those bands that I love. You know, I listen to that old stuff all the time and just think, man, this band was so killer. It's tough, you know. Everybody's getting older. At what point do you say, you know, I can't. And there's a lot of that going on right now. The whole thing with Stevie Rochelle and L.A. Guns where they were talking about, you know, how Tracy Guns can't stand the heat. Okay, and we so, should talk about this because yeah. I haven't, I didn't have it on the list. But we should because I do want to defend stevie a little bit on this look um you can say what you want about metal sludge and stevie rochelle about sour grapes and all that stuff because maybe there's been times in the past where he sensationalized something to to get clicks or whatever but honestly the the argument he made because i i don't remember i think it was daytona beach that la guns was gonna open for tom Kiefer, and then you had faster pussycat opening um, LA Guns just basically packed up their stuff and left the venue and nothing has been said officially to the fans who paid money to see them. And well, I saw afterwards. Now it finally came out that it was something to do with production of the show. Did they say something? It had, yeah. And that it had pushed it back so far that only two bands would have had reasonable time to play. Like, if they'd had all three bands play, it would have pushed way past. Who said that, though? Uh, Tracy Guns, I believe. I need to look that up. But, but I mean, when And then Steve- Phil even t- chimed in on it. But, I mean, when Stevie made the, the comment about it, you know, I don't blame him. I mean, you can, you can, like, give Metal Sludge and Stevie Rochelle shit for past stuff. I get that. But at the same time... I've talked to Stevie Rochelle enough to know that like he doesn't run with something unless he has evidence backing it up. But you know, there's a lot of people that paid to the meet and greet to meet those guys. And A, they didn't do the meet and greet, and B, they didn't do their set, and then they packed up their stuff and they left and they didn't say anything. And like yeah. they went forward with the show and Tom Kiefer played and did a great set, I'm sure. That's fine. But at the same time, like he got a bunch of shit from the LA guns camp about reporting on this. And it's one of those things where it's like, you guys should have said, they should have said something. I'm sorry, but um, make some sort of announcement at least. Cause you got people, the people that are paying for their meet and greets, 
I mean, these are your most ardent fans. That's who's left. Yeah. You know, don't they, of anybody, deserve the explanation of say, hey, look, you know, they're getting their money back. That's cool. But tell them, you know, explain to them why this happened. And Stevie reported it on, you know, I guess they were playing a gig in Texas and Tracy was having panic attacks or something or anxiety and had to do his solos from the bathroom or something. Yeah, yeah, the air-conditioned bathroom. And I, look. But they videoed it. Well, even with that. I can give that a pass. That's fine because he let people know ahead of time. But this is a thing where Stevie's like friendship with Ace Von Johnson from LA Guns went down the shitter, you know, pun intended, um, because of this. And Ace was like, You just lost a friend and like you'll do anything for attention. And I, you know, Ace was a guest at Rockin' Pod last year. I like Ace a lot. He's a great guy, super nice guy. Um, but this is one thing where like, I don't know why we're giving Stevie Rochelle shit for reporting on this because I don't think he's in the wrong on this. I really don't. And maybe I'm causing relationships to break myself by saying this. Um, but so be it. Um, if you paid to meet, to get a meet and greet with LA guns and they didn't even tell you that they were leaving the venue, I, I think that's kind of wrong. You know, I really do. If somebody's trolling for clicks, that's one thing. And I do think there are times where Stevie does troll for clicks. I, I'm not going to deny that. But for this situation in particular with LA Guns leaving a fucking venue with not saying anything and people had paid good money for those meet and greets, I'm on his side on this. They should have said something. Yeah. Well, at least later on they they did say that the people did get reimbursed for that. That's good. And I'm happy for that. But, like, you can't blame the guy for reporting on this. I no, mean, just put yourself in the shoes of the person that paid that money that's been waiting all this time for your favorite band to come to town. You're going to meet your favorite members of your favorite band. You're all excited. You're all about it. And you get there and you go, hey, where are they? Yeah. I don't know. They left. Why? I don't know. It's a valid argument. And, like, you know, Ace Von Johnson, if you are listening to this, I love you. You were great at Rockin' Pod. Thanks for coming. But I don't think Stevie was in the wrong for this, and I don't think you should sacrifice your friendship with the guy over this because I think he was doing the right thing by reporting on it. And especially in the age we live in with Facebook and stuff, people are going to start saying stuff immediately. So you have to respond immediately, or else people are, are going to start like coming up with all kinds of reasons why you fucked them over. Right. And then especially when you're looking at what's gone on in weeks past where Tracy Guns is playing in bathrooms. Here's an idea. If you're playing a show in a place that's hot in the summertime, and you know that, Houston, let's say, for example, you got a show in Houston in July, you know it's going to be hot. Instead of booking that show, why don't you say, you know what, in the summer months, let's tour Canada. Yeah, maybe. You know ahead of time it's going to be hot in Texas in July. But, I mean, essentially what I'm saying is I hope bygones can be let to be bygones because Stevie, I think, is a good guy and means well. And I think Ace is a good guy that means well. And I hope that this isn't like some fractured thing for their friendship because I don't. I think Stevie, as a media outlet and a respected media outlet, was doing his job. You know, I don't think he was taking a personal shot at L.A. Guns. No. I think he was reporting on what he saw. Yeah. I think there's... We're all in this for the same reason. We don't do this show other than we love rock and roll. And I think Stevie's the same way. And I think Ace is the same way. So I hope that people can let things go 
and get along again because I don't think I I really don't think Stevie was coming from a bad place in this. No, and it kind of goes back to like we were saying on not too far in the past. We were talking about Gene Simmons on the Torpedo Dudes and some ridiculous shit that he had said. But it comes from a place of love, you know. If we didn't care about Kiss, we wouldn't say, come on, guys, what are you doing, you know? Stevie Rochelle is the same as us. He cares about this type of music. And so to say, hey, L.A. Guns, I think what you did was kind of shitty isn't to say hey la guns i think you're shitty no it's to say i care about this kind of music i care about the fans of this kind of music i understand how they would feel betrayed why'd you do this well and we've gotten to a time in society where if you say anything negative about anything even if it's slight um it becomes as you hate the person and yeah we got to get back to understanding, hey, sometimes you need a friend that will call you out on your shit. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and that, I think that's all he was doing here. I really don't think he was trying to hate on them. So, um, And Stevie's a big boy. He can defend himself. But I just I wanted to take a moment to defend him on this a little bit because it's just like, you know, look, you guys didn't make a statement and you took several hours, even like over a day, to say something. I think he's right in calling you out for it. That's my opinion. And my opinion is, quit writing stories about L.A. Guns and give us a new Tough album. Well, that's between you and him. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're the bigger Tough A good hard me. rocker like Religious Fix. I do like that album. Give us Religious Fix Part 2, please. We still need an album unleashed with him on that. That's right. A um, couple more stories. Uh, this, is not, this is kind of a nothing story, but I just thought it was interesting. Former Motley Crue frontman John Karabi... Uh, has shot down the perception that he was financially set for life following his departure from the group. He's, quote, that's one of the things everybody assumes because I did the Motley thing that I was multimillionaire, and it was funny. I made money when I first joined Motley. I got bonuses and publishing and all these advances and stuff. But at the same time, I joined Motley in 92, and I left the band in 97. And in that five years, my son was diagnosed with diabetes. My mom had been diagnosed with cancer. So fortunately slash unfortunately, I wound up taking care of them financially. And then there's the normal shit. You've got to pay your taxes. I remember, fuck, there was two tax checks I wrote. The first one was $139,000. Then the following year, I had to spend $219,000 in taxes. Damn. Like, wow. So by the time the five years had passed, I lived off that money and beyond, but it was starting to get dangerously low. The music industry was changing. A lot of the 80s bands weren't selling any records, so it was a weird time. And he talked about his brief stint driving a truck for a living a few years after his exit from Motley Crue. And he says, the whole reason why I did it, I mean, I wasn't in dire straits financially. Rat was taking a year off because, remember, he played guitar for Rat for a little while. Yep. He says, at that point, I, was, I would think I was paying child support and alimony. I was paying 2500 a month, but I was going through a second divorce. And this was a this was push and pull thing where a girl would come back and she would disappear. Then she would come back. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just needed a wanted a little bit of change. So I was like, all right, I can get a trucking license in three weeks. And I'm going to learn how to do this. I was telling a friend of mine not that long ago, I said, you know, it's weird. I spent most of my life traveling in a tour bus, but usually you're traveling at, a, at night. You see shit on a tour bus. And I could not believe some of these places that I saw driving that truck and just moving goods around the U.S., I'm like, wow, there's parts of the U.S. I've been literally touring my whole life, and there was things that I'd never seen before, 
until I started driving a truck, and I had a fucking blast. That's cool. I, I did it for almost a year, and then Rat called and said, hey, we're getting ready to go back out. And I called my boss and just said, hey, man, I'm going back to touring. And it was funny because a lot of people didn't know who I was or they didn't know anything about my history. When I told my boss, I said, hey, I'm going to go back to touring again. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I'm actually a musician. I told him who I was and all that stuff. And I just handed him the keys back and I said, thank you. I had a great time. It's been awesome. I'm going to go back on tour again. So I did it for almost a year. It was cool. Mentally, it cleared my head. Cause I was just driving and thinking and mapping things out in my head. And then I made a, I made a really just decent living and I had health insurance for me and my son. It was cool. I had a great time. It was awesome. So I do remember when this was going on. Cause actually the first time I met Karabi was during this time. You were working at a warehouse and he brought a load in. No. Um, I was working, um, actually I was working at a publishing company, but I lived near, you know where Cummins Station is in Nashville? Yeah. So he started dating who became his wife, um, and she was running a hair salon at Cummins Station at the time. And the first time I met John Karabi, he had parked a big rig in front of Cummins Station. <laughs> and I was driving back from my lunch break, and I saw him get out of the truck. And I was like, holy fuck, that's John Karabi. <laughs> wow. And I ran up to him, and I'm like, "Hey, you know, great to meet you. I'm a big fan." No he, shit! He, he wow. He seemed real. He seemed really freaked out by it because well, somebody bet. recognized yeah, him. Yeah, because he wasn't in rock star mode. He was no. He was in truck totally driver in truck mode. mode. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, thanks so much, man. That means a lot to me to hear that." That's but, uh, awesome, man. That's super I, cool. Yeah, I met him when he was a truck driver, <laughs> and uh, he wound up doing an acoustic show like a year later um, at a place on uh, Music Row. Or Demumrian, for those local that are listening, and uh, he opened up for uh, I think it was Eve Six. Do you remember Eve Six? Yeah, yeah. Heart in a Blender, all that. Yeah, he was the opening act for Eve Six, and uh, wow. I saw I saw him play an acoustic set like the year late, and that was when I started writing for uh, NashvilleRock.net. That's wild. Yeah, and he was super nice. I did like an hour and a half interview with him over the phone, and. That was when I transcribed it for like six hours, wow. and I was like, I need to start a podcast because I hate transcribing. That's amazing. <laughs> but you think about that. We talked about Skid Row earlier. The difference in how many albums the debut album and Slave to the Grind moved versus Motley Crue 94. Yeah. That's true. I mean, because yeah, Motley 94 did not do anything. No. As awesome as it is, and in retrospect, how much we all love and respect that album now... At yeah. the time, there weren't that many yeah. of us that actually got it. No, I made my friend from college drive me around to uh, Turtles Music here in Nashville. I remember Turtles. Because Motley did an in-store in Hickory Hollow um, before the show at Starwood. And I went to the in-store. and uh, But, like, there was maybe 50 people there. It was uh, It was dead. Wow. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was not like well attended, and then the show was even worse, worsely attended. And yeah. it was uh, it was Motley Crue, uh, Kings X, and Typo Negative. Man, that's an awesome lineup too. It's an amazing lineup, and like all three thousand of us that showed had a great time. Wow, <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> it was uh, it was a very poorly attended. Well, we're over an hour. You want a rapper? Yeah, I can't think of anything else that's really on this list that's uh super great other than 
Rob Halford is now pissed off at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because they're not like a full inductee. They're getting the Musical Excellence Award. Which We've talked kind of about that before. Is bullshit. Yeah, it's kind of bullshit. It's like and a consolation Andy, prize that keeps you from ever actually being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And that Andy McCoy from uh, Hanoi Rocks has done a couple of interviews lately that uh, he's about as drunk as I am right now and uh, doesn't come off well. Um, but uh, he's pissed, still mad at Motley Crue for uh, the Razzle death. I imagine because that ended Hanoi Rocks. Yeah. When if you look about that, if you look at that, you know, Hanoi Rocks was poison before poison. They yeah. were all those bands. You talk about the Sunset Strip and the glam rock metal of the time. Hanoi Rocks was all that before there was such a thing and never, ever got the recognition for being the yeah. godfathers of that style of music. Yeah, very underrated. Especially in the fashion side of it, the way they looked. Maybe not so much in the music. But definitely they influence in the look. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, you talk about poison, you know that if nothing else, they were looking at pictures of Hanoi Rocks and going, oh, yeah. They got something going on there. And nobody here in the United States knows about them. We could be that. And people would think we're the forerunners of something. It all goes back to the New York dolls, though. Yeah, true. Even if you don't like their music, you have to give them credit for the fashion. Yeah, I mean, even Bowie a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, Hanoi Rocks based their whole look off Sylvain Sylvain from the New York Dolls. Yeah. Yeah, pretty wild. That is the news of the world, the important stuff, you know. We're not going to tell you about what's happening in politics, the rights, the lefts. We keep it right down the middle, rock and roll style. Who cares? <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. See ya. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.